As Remembrance Day comes around, we are led to reflect back on previous years of people we have known, of family stories perhaps, stories of heroism or of great tragedy. And we also think of the senseless loss of life that warfare has created in nearly every community. That said, I suspect that all of us who are gathered this morning will be too young to have experienced the the actual end of what was the war to end all wars, or at least as it was called. But a few of us might have strong recollection of the Second World War, and many of us, even if we have not been in the forces, will be aware of what has happened in more recent conflicts too, such as Iraq and Afghanistan and so many nations around the globe. Some of these memories might be joyful, but many are very painful. And over the years may have caused us to question how inhuman humanity may be. I remember one such conversation that I had 15 years ago with one of the older members of a placement church I was in when training for the ministry. She had married just before the Second World War and then in 1940 gave birth to her first son. She told me that when this, her child, was born, she had great fears. And as she spoke, she wasn't simply thinking of fears for the safety of her husband, who was on active service with the army, but she was fearful for the future life of a small, innocent child born into an evil world. And she had thought at the time, was she selfish to have done such a thing, to have had a child, to have had a baby in a world that was full of disaster. Of course, years on, by the time that we had met, that son was about to retire from teaching. He had a son himself and grandchildren of his own. And she could now look on her son's life differently. But as she spoke, she still had that trepidation in her voice from many years ago of how hopeless the world had seemed to her. Feeling hopeless is a natural reaction when things are out of our control. Even kings and rulers can feel overwhelmed and as a result might do unusual things. They might grasp at straws in their attempt to bring order. But such efforts 
are not always sensible. In our passage, the city of Jerusalem is surrounded. It's only a matter of time until it will fall, and Jeremiah has been stating this over and over. So what is the king to do? What does he do in this predicament? Does he do as 600 years later Jesus suggests is the sensible move? Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Is this seeking of peace, the avoidance of bloodshed, the, the stopping of destruction before it happens, the path of Zedekiah towards the massed forces of Nebuchadnezzar? No. It isn't. The king takes more of the approach we might expect today of Donald Trump and accuses the prophet of fake news. Stop telling this story. Be quiet. He puts the prophet under house arrest in the courtyard of the guard at the royal palace to remove the microphone of publicity, to take away the ability to speak, to silence him. The king simply thinks of the prophet as an agent of demoralization, a weakening effect on the captive city. But the problem is that in hearing the words of the prophet, in hearing this is what the Lord says, he is hearing what the Lord says. It's not simply a man, but it is God's word. As God's people... The challenge upon us is to hear God's call, to discover his plan, to respond appropriately, rather than to be like King Zedekiah, who is an ostrich and simply sticks his head in the sand. That kings, presidents and prime ministers do not always listen to the word of God does not, however, stop God giving it to prophets to share. He continues to speak. That we disregard the truth does not stop it from being the truth. The message that Jerusalem will be sacked is known to all the people. The story of impending doom is known throughout the streets of Jerusalem. Jeremiah's arrest is a pointless exercise. The forces are massing at the gate. 
But doom is not the end of the message from God for the people of Jerusalem. God also brings a message of hope for the future. Jeremiah is told to buy the land his cousin is selling. The land is about three miles from Jerusalem. It's said by some commentators as being where the Babylonian soldiers camped. It's certainly in occupied territory. Are the soldiers likely to provide access to anyone from the city that's under siege? No. Not to mention, what use is land to a man that's under under house arrest? But he is to buy that land. And he does. Because the prophet listens to God. And as the transaction is conducted in accordance with the law, not cutting corners as might be imagined under the very unusual circumstances of a captive man within a captive city, the witnesses to the purchase serve a dual function. They also act as witnesses to a prophetic statement being made. The purchase of land by Jeremiah is a sign of faith that God makes the world turn. He makes a new day dawn. He brings the sunshine after the rain. And that one day the people shall be free to farm, free to build. Land shall go up in value. People will again buy houses or build houses. They will farm in the fields. They will culture the vineyards. But we see by the precautions taken or placing the deeds in a jar, the future will not happen overnight. They are being stored for a long time. However long it takes, God is present. The promise of hope is there. The people who will soon be captives, not in Jerusalem, but taken into exile, will have a land to return to. And the land that is battlefield will in time see peace. If you were to go to Belgium today you might see the scars of the warfare of a hundred years ago you might see the cemeteries and the Menengate memorial you might see poppies growing in Flanders fields as observed by John McRae but you would also see crops in the field ploughs have replaced the sword the rifle and the machine gun. There has been building houses and hotels, busy roads linking towns together. The armistice treaty was signed, the guns ceased fire, the communities over time 
much time have been rebuilt. And it was thus, after each battle, those who later returned from the Babylon exile to a destroyed city and a ruined temple would have a difficult beginning. It would be a slow process. They would have to lay brick upon brick, stone upon stone. And the physical rebuilding is only part of the story after a war. What of the mental damage that also needs repair? What of the scarring inside that is not seen? Yet whatever the turmoil, life can be reconstructed. There will be reminders of conflict past, but also blessings of peace for the future. Through Jeremiah's word, there was a new sense of promised land for the people who are soon to be taken away. Whatever the despair on our hearts about the condition of the world, about disaster, be it natural or made by humankind. The Lord seeks us to experience his hope and his peace. The promise through Jeremiah's land purchase was that one day the conflict would be over and a sense of normality restored. But for us in the 21st century, there is a greater promise still. Through our Saviour Jesus, we get the promise that is not simply a return to a parcel of land, but that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Not just that one day a war will be over, but that there will one day be perpetual peace. God's peace is a peace that passes all understanding. No more tears or sorrow. No more worries for the future. As we remember in a few minutes' time, those who have suffered and died that we in this land might have freedom. May we also remember Christ the Lord who suffered and died that our sins may be forgiven and that we might have a sure and certain hope of eternity in peace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, there are times that we struggle in our daily life just watching the news and unable to believe our eyes. For there are so often occasions where it seems the whole world is ablaze. Not ablaze as in the fires in California. 
not ablaze with joy to proclaim you, King of all the earth, but ablaze with inhumanity, with warfare, with great turmoil. Lord, we may seem weak because we are weak. But we know there can be change. We know that politicians can listen. They can think of a future. May the words that they hear be wise words. May their actions be the right action. And may all that we see those in parliaments across the world do be a seeking and a growth of your kingdom, your kingdom of love, your kingdom of joy, your kingdom of peace. So, Lord, may we speak of hope, joy, and peace. May we speak of your love. In this community and to those in power, Through Christ, the King of peace, we pray. Amen.